Hello and welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and I'm joined by Brader Later. Hi, guys. And we're going to discuss today uh, abortion and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, this has been a hard-fought decision. Uh, Roe versus Wade was first decided upon in 1973, and it's been a very contentious law since the very beginning. Uh, even the famous Ruth Bader Ginsburg had her reservations about the efficacy of the law and that it shouldn't have been gone about that way, uh, that the decision was wrong. And so uh, even though she was, uh, a, you know, supported abortion, she knew that uh, it was just a matter of time before Roe versus Wade was overturned. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions on what, what this new case means and uh, the imp impacts that it's going to have on society. Uh, the reality is that there's several myths out there, and I, I think we should cover some of those myths. But before we do, uh, Brader later had a quote that he would like to read off. Yeah, um, this is a quote from Lincoln that I think uh, does a good job of kind of underscoring the crux of the abortion debate. And it says, I do not forget the position assumed by some that constitutional questions are to be decided by the Supreme Court, nor, nor do I deny that such decisions must be binding in any case upon the parties to a suit as to the objects of that suit. At the same time, the candid citizen must confess that if the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole population is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court, the people will have ceased to be their own rulers, having, to that extent, practically resigned their government into the hands of that eminent tribunal. So I think what's interesting, and I, uh, Glenn Greenwald's the first uh, also references an opinion, and Glenn Greenwald also commented on this, is that uh, at, uh, at first glance, you might think that, uh, well, this, this will be something that uh, liberals would uh, point out ad nauseum to say that, oh, well, look, Lincoln makes the point that... Uh, the Supreme Court is ultimately just trying to control our reproductive rights. So we should just use this as a uh, good tidbit to our defense. But I think this actually does underscore, underscore the crux of the debate, because this is really a debate about states' rights. Because if you actually look at it at the bottom, which we'll get into, there really is no federal position. There is, no, uh, uh, there is nothing granted by our Constitution that says that, okay, you must have abortion. And if you really read it, you come to the logical conclusion is that this should be defended by the states or there has to be an amendment. Thus, if it's predicated on that, that we have a, we have some sort of a, or what we were decided kind of in early on our federalism, where we're going to have a state's rights or we're, we're going to have a healthy kind of state rights bent to us, then it should be, in my opinion, be seen that, and I think this is the rational position, that we should see this as actually a quote defending it, and that we should see uh, the decision decided by the Supreme Court in Jackson as essentially uh, upholding abortion, as essentially upholding uh, the right kind of uh, decision on abortion. Well, they keep saying that, you know, I, I always hear liberals say, and I've said this in the past, we keep saying, I keep hearing them screaming and chanting, uh, this is what democracy looks like. Well, this is actually what democracy looks like. Democracy is when you put it in the hands of the people and it's decided on the state level instead of on the federal. Instead of the federal government making decisions, you get a state-by-state -state referendum on abortion. And that's the way it should have been in the first place. There's no guarantee in the Constitution uh, for abortion. It's not a right. It was never listed as a right. Uh, it was simply uh, interpreted that way for political reasons. So, right. and, and as, as also makes clear that uh, it's uh, in 1868, I guess the 14th Amendment, which uh, uh, which set forth the right to liberty or, uh, or, or set forth the 
right to liberty that they keep uh, uh, drawing upon, or particularly Casey draws upon. If you actually look in 1868 when that right was passed, virtually all states had abortion bans, you know? Exactly. So if you actually look at it from any sort of constitutional standards, obviously an amendment, it's that abortion was not a pressing issue. Abortion was viewed as something that should be outlawed at the time. So it's hard to defend it as a, this is actually what the, uh, uh, our founders or the founder, the writers of that amendment had, had in mind when they wrote the opinion. So I'd like to go over a couple of, uh, a couple of myths and, uh, and, and clear those myths up. Uh, myth one, most abortions happen in, in uh, the hard cases, uh, rape, incest, maternal health problems, or birth uh, defects. Absolutely not true. The fact is, is that 97% of abortions happen for social or economic reasons. Only 3% are due to rape or incest or maternal health or birth defects. So that covers a whole lot. So the idea that uh, people keep bringing up this red herring of rape and incest and uh, to save the mother's life or because there's a horrible deformity of the child, of the fetus, that, that only, that's only 3% of the time. So it's, it's a complete red herring. And in fact, as I've said before, when you bring this up, when you talk to people about this and say, okay, well, if that's the case, if those are the cases you're concerned about, then why don't we limit abortions to those three cases and make everything else illegal? They always say no, because they don't mean it. They're not sincere. They don't really, they're not really concerned about those three exceptions. That's just simply a way to get under, fly under the radar and, and pull on your heartstrings without any facts and without reality backing up what they're saying. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I also find it interesting because it does kind of underscore the irony in this because they call themselves pro-choice, which obviously has the connotation that, okay, well, this is an elective thing and this is just a choice we're making. But yet they don't defend what, uh, what uh, the, the vast majority of the choices that people make. They'll try to defend it via, via the such extreme minority cases. That's, that's one of the things they've always found inter interesting about the, uh, the pro-choice side. Yeah, and they'll, they'll try to point to the outliers and say, well, this is – and they do that with many things. They do that with, uh, with transgender. They do that with all sorts of things. They, they point to the outliers and say, well, see, 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 that, you know, this is the problem. And in reality, when you look at the stats, the stats don't back up their arguments. Um, oh, myth number two. Abortion helps racial minorities. Access to abortion helps racial minorities. Fact, abortion is making our population more white. 28% uh, of abortions uh, are 28% are, uh, of blacks are aborted. Only 10% of whites are aborted. 10%. So the, the idea that, uh, that this actually helps minorities, it, it's actually killing minorities. It's, it's, it's again, 28% of, of, of black people are aborted, only 10% of white. And so you're, you know, this whole, the whole reason why that abortion was so pushed in the, in the early uh, part of the last century was because it was uh, Margaret Sanger. And it was one of her, uh, one of her goals was to eliminate black people. So if you care about black people and you care about minorities in, in general, you absolutely would not um, make this argument, not based on the stats. Right. I mean, I think at the very least that, uh, this does kind of uh, uh, rebuke the argument that uh, which they like to argue that, oh, well, if you look at the impetus for 
uh, Roe v. Wade, or, or if you look at the impetus for the uh, backlash to Roe v. Wade, it was uh, by and large pre- uh, precipitated by racist white Christians who viewed this as some sort of weird proxy because they couldn't use that as a social issue, which if you look at the facts, it shows that uh, obviously this is going to end up with, I mean, even obviously people can go to other states, but this is regardless going to end up with more black children being born than would have been born before. So this idea that uh, it's due to racism is absolute nonsense and that it's just going to create more black children. I've actually heard liberals say that if, if you, if you have, if, if these poor black families have abortions, that it's going to lower the overall crime rate. And so what they're saying is without, without actually saying it, what they're, what they're insinuating is, is that the way to eliminate crime, the, the violent crime rate or to lower it is by eliminating black people. That, that's pretty much what they're saying. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how you could interpret it any other way. If you're saying yeah. less black children equals less violent crime or less crime in general, that's what you're saying. Right. Yeah, there's okay, no way to so, kind of chuck it up other than that. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't imagine another way to interpret it. So myth number three, the fetus is just a clump of cells, and that's part of the mother's body. Uh, the fact is, is that the unborn child has her or, or his own genetic code from day one and is defined by scientists as a distinct organism. So unique DNA at uh, conception, heartbeat at 24 days, brain waves detectable at six weeks, and organs complete at eight weeks. So the idea that it's just a clump of cells is obviously nonsense. Obviously nonsense. Clump of sperm cells and and unfertilized eggs never turn into fully autonomous human beings. Uh, A a baby that's being developed in the womb definitely will, if if left uh, unmolested. Right. There's obviously also the question of what exactly even constitutes a clump of cells. Can't you argue that we're just a clump of cells and that there seems to be this... uh profound ambiguity when somebody throws at a position like that they they seemingly want it to be one of their uh kind of a major kind of uh normative positions but it's seemingly hard to kind of flesh out what that actually means and also you'd have to say when does it see they or at least they would probably also argue that it, at some point a fetus is not just a clump of cells and they would have to uh be able to delineate when that actually happens which obviously another thing that they struggle with which we'll probably get into right absolutely i completely agree Okay, so myth number four, Planned Parenthood uh, doesn't focus on abortions. The fact is, is the Planned Parenthood makes $583,350 from abortions every year. So they make a huge chunk of their earnings from abortions. It would absolutely cripple, absolutely cripple their, their business if they couldn't have those abortions. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of Planned Parenthoods are closing down right now because of the new legislation, because of the new uh, Supreme Court decision. So obviously it's, it's, it's what keeps them afloat. Otherwise, they wouldn't be closing down. Right. And it's obviously, I mean, the, the thing that they always argue is that it's not the majority of the services they provide uh, as far as, I guess, what you want to say here, which I guess here would be a misnomer, but healthcare. But the thing that they, a lot of these people also then acknowledge with that is that uh, if you look at the outrage out, out about abortion, that has to be drumming up donation rates. And I don't have the numbers on the top of my head. But I can remember that uh, every time abortion seemingly or there's I forget when I remember there was a thing 2016 where somebody uh, or spoke out against abortion. It seemed like some state was going to try to actually go against it and immediately Planned Parenthood's uh, funding surged, which you do have to wonder if they're how much of their endowment is actually due to kind of abortion rhetoric and people feeling that abortion's going to be 
uh, made illegal. Thus, thus they have to give these resources. Thus, they have to support them at all costs. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely right. So myth number five, the use of contraception decreases the abortion rate. Contraception induces a rise of a promiscuity as people think that they can have uh, unrestricted sex uh, and not have to worry about conceiving any money. That's simply not true. Contraceptions fail all the time. As promiscuity rises, so does the number of unwanted pregnancies. And so does the abortion rate. And there's actually a chart showing that. We're going to provide the link to all this information. So what happens is, obviously, condoms fail. Other, other birth control measures fail. If you have more sex because you're relying on the fact that those are going to keep you from getting pregnant, then that obviously increases the likelihood that they'll fail because the more it happens, the more it fails, even if it's just a small percentage. So it increases the overall amount of STDs, and it also increases the overall amount of unwanted pregnancies. I think that just stands to reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing more to say on that. Okay, so myth number six, uh, Planned Parenthood uh, often provides prenatal care and adoption uh, referrals and only some abortions. Here's the facts. 97% 97% of uh, pregnant clients at Planned Parenthood get abortions. 97% of pregnant clients at, at uh, Planned Parenthood get abortions. So the, all the idea that it's a small percentage, uh, it may, it, I don't know what percentage of it is their income, but I do know that the overwhelming majority, almost all of the clients of Planned Parenthood get abortions. So that's that, and that's you know, the source is Planned Parenthood's 2019 to 2020. Uh, um, see, they have their article here, their annual report for 2019 to 2020. So the, the people who question what I'm saying, the stats, it's from Planned Parenthood themselves. So right. the, the notion that, that, that they don't just uh, supply abortions, well. Apparently, they, they supply abortions to 97% of the people that walk through the door. Right. And there's also the fact that uh, some, some might argue that, uh, oh, well, they, are, they already have their minds open, so they just uh, essentially give them the service that they want. But uh, we, have heard, we have heard anecdotes where people will actually go in, and I believe this is actually part of Planned Parenthood's procedure, where they say, okay, well, abortion's on the table if you want it. And they'll actually reference this to women who go, go in there, and these women will seemingly be dumbfounded that uh, – they actually want to have a kid and they're being told by a provider that, uh, oh, well, you can get an abortion if you want to. And this could also be part of the health care for it. So myth number seven, aborting children from poor families saves society the cost of supporting them. Fact, every abortion costs society about four million nine hundred and eighty three thousand two hundred and ninety eight dollars in lost taxes and spending. So there's, there's quite a bit of money that's actually lost, quite a bit of revenue that's lost from the abortions. Uh, not right. to mention the fact I don't think that I don't think financial reasons should be a good reason to uh, to murder someone. I mean, if you're if you're if your elderly mother or father or grandparents get sick and you can save some money by them going ahead and dying, should are, are, do you support euthanasia in that case? And just, uh, you know, have them put to sleep or put a pillow over their face? 
or do you try to help them out and keep them going because you love them and and it's not just about uh, dollars and cents right i would also kind of contend that if you look at particularly in america i think or i, I think outside of america i think this argument i think the financial argument uh, uh is more fruitful particularly in cases like east asia in much of europe where we're seeing negative birth rates and there obviously has to be a question that's uh, i guess you could call it purely practical but uh is it actually good to have so many women having abortions when it would probably be the case that these kids could actually grow up, they would could actually grow up and become citizens and become uh, uh, functional taxpayers. And obviously to that point too, as well, that, uh, that uh, the, the children that get aborted, if uh, I guess if the, if the mother truly cannot, cannot afford them, like they often say on survey results, they can just give them up for adoption. And obviously if you look at adoption, uh, adoptive parents, they tend to be pretty good parents overall or by most metrics. Well, of course, they're, they're choosing to be a parent. It's not, it's not by accident. Right. And they have to jump through all sorts of hoops, and they have to wait in waiting lists for years to get the chance to adopt a child. And they're, they're, under, they're under strict supervision and scrutinization before they're even given the child, and long after. Yeah. Obviously, at the very least, they're getting the, probably the best. The children that are getting aborted, which I don't think a lot of uh, pro-choicers will acknowledge that they're probably getting the best uh, uh, household situation possible if they actually don't end up getting aborted, or at least for a lot of them. Well, they they also say that that how difficult it is to get adopted. Now, that's true for older children. If you're an older child, you become an orphan or you you lose your family somehow. Uh, Yeah, that's true. It's very difficult to get adopted. It can be very difficult to get adopted. Uh, but if you're a newborn baby, there are people waiting and waiting lists that stretch for years to get that newborn baby. So that's never a problem for a new, newborn. Uh, yeah. Okay, so myth number eight, thousands of women died from uh, illegal abortions every year before abortion became legal. The fact, the year before Roe versus Wade, uh, abortion caused only 65 maternal deaths. 65. Now, 65 dead people is not a good thing, but it's, it's not the astronomical number that people are saying. It's 4,254% it's 4, more common to die in a house fire. So the idea that uh, just tens, or, you know, hundreds or thousands of women are dying because of back alley abortions, it's just not true. It's just simply not true. Yeah, I would like to add that uh, obviously that's something that uh, I actually didn't even know till uh, till I actually read that just uh, a little while ago. So actually, that's something that interests me too because uh, that's obviously something that uh, is becoming a much more kind of salient talking point with uh, obviously Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned, and obviously that kind of goes back to uh, uh, this idea of women's lives being at risk, which it's just uh, it's just not true if you look at the majority of cases. Absolutely. Okay, so myth number nine: abortion can save a woman's life. Okay, the fact is, here's the fact. A woman whose life is in danger may need a medical procedure that kills her child as a, as a side effect. But doctors agree that direct abortion is never necessary to save the woman's life. So in other words, she might need a procedure to save her life that's going to result in the death of her child. But just killing the child, just having the abortion is never something that's going to save the woman's life. Right. Obviously, that also branches out. At, that talking point also probably branches out to this notion that, uh, oh, well, if you force a woman to, uh, I guess, uh, uh, take the child's term, then that'll obviously mess with a lot of women's mental health. So that'll cause some sort of uh, 
extreme harm to them, which uh, I find to be a very odd position as well. That uh, there's there's an idea that you can, if you're forced to be pregnant, that uh, this will cause you. If you're forced to do something that was your own decision, that it's going to end up killing you or causing immeasurable harm to you. Which I would uh, I would also like to see how they kind of gauge or how they would actually go about gauging that. You know. Yeah. How would you gauge the mental harm? I mean, how much mental harm do you have? living the rest of your life knowing you murdered your own child. Right. Especially if somebody finds out. Yeah. I mean, how, how much how much are you causing yourself uh, mental harm as well as your, the rest of your family, including your future children or your current children or your husband or your parents or, or his parents or any of the other relatives or family and friends? Uh, I, I mean, how much mental anguish and, and uh, damage are you doing to yourself and them and your overall relationship? Right. There's also the fact of uh, imagine a woman who thinks that, okay, well, this is going to cause uh, so much harm to me to, to have to carry this child for however many months, probably seven once they realize they're pregnant. And then they actually have the child or the child comes to term in this, this situation or this hypothetical. And then they think to themselves, oh, if only, if only I was able to abort this, this child that I'm now taken care of. You know, it just seems very odd. It just seems kind of perplexing thing. Well, how many times do you hear a woman rub her stomach, an expecting mother that's going to have the baby, and rub her stomach and say, I've got a, I've got a beautiful little clump of cells in my stomach? Right. That's never been said by anybody. And how many times have you heard her rub her stomach and say, I've got a baby on the way? So right. if we go along with the liberal lefty way of thinking, that means that the whim of the woman, the, 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 emotional, the, the emotional state of the woman dictates reality. If she wants the child, then it's a baby. If she doesn't want the child, then it's a clump of cells. I, I don't think reality is shaped that way. Right. Yeah, it's obviously very emotional. It's it's kind of a, I think, kind of adjacent to that point is the case with miscarriages where there's a phenomenon where women who experience a lot of miscarriages will start to think that, okay, well, life life is really a precious thing. And for whatever reason, I just can't seem to have it. And this is obviously something I want. And they start to th- infer that, look, the other women where they have other children that would likely come to term and they choose to abort it. And they view something incredibly wrong with that. And that the, the child that they have in their stomachs that they want out, they want, they had the same child when they had the same child in their stomach, they thought to themselves, okay, I really want that. So that kind of a retort rebukes the idea in their minds that, uh, Oh, this is just a clump of cells and this is not something, and this is something that isn't a person. You're absolutely right. So myth number 10, this is the last one. Most Americans are pro-choice. That's absolutely not true. Facts. Americans are split fairly evenly on, the, on, on this uh, abortion issue. 48% of Americans are pro-abortion. 46% are pro-life. And other is 6%. So there's a pretty good margin of error. So the idea that everybody's on board with abortion and that somehow you know, that uh, we're, the people are having abortions, whether, you know, the, the, the overwhelming majority of the population supports abortion is just not true. It's just simply not true. And why people say these things, I have absolutely no idea, except for they're just, they're just pushing a political agenda and they don't care about the realities of the, of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, when you look at a lot of the abortion statistics, they can seem kind of convoluted because it's a lot of times it'll be that so few people actually identify or less people will identify as pro-choice and pro-life. And they'll seemingly be in some third category where they want some sort of restrictions, which obviously makes this kind of parse to hard to parse out data wise. But uh, I, I, the other thing that uh, I think is going to be interesting, it kind of the coming years 
is that uh, if you look at the Hispanic category, Hispanics, uh, Hispanics are, or Hispanics and whites are the most pro-life uh, groups in our country. And obviously Hispanics are skyrocketing. So that's obviously going to correspond with, uh, with them bringing their kind of a uh, pro-life sentiments and c- kind of the voting booth. So that will be another kind of interesting thing to see. So this notion that the, another thing you kind of see is that the liberals or kind of pro-lifers will think that, Oh, well, there's going to be a trend and kind of a backlash to Roe v. Wade where we're just going to see more and more people become pro-choice and we're going to see at the ballots, which maybe you could see it on kind of an affirmal level. But uh, if you look at the long term, I, I, I highly doubt that just because if just because of the skyrocketing Hispanic rates or the rates of uh, Hispanics in this country. They, they tend to be much to the chagrin of the liberals. They tend to be more conservative, more conservative than they thought. So one of the things that uh, you hear people say is the United States abortion laws are already overly restricted. The fact is that the United States actually has some of the most uh, permissive abortion laws in the entire world, just like some of the most notorious human rights abusers, China and North Korea. The United States has been one of the one of just five nations in the world to permit elective elective late term abortions after 24 weeks. Seventy five percent of nations do not permit elective abortions after 12 weeks. Nations, including France, protect against abortion after 12 weeks. So the, the idea that we have unreasonable restrictive uh, abortion laws compared to the rest of the world just simply isn't true. It's just not true. Right. And obviously, this is a point kind of made at nauseum that uh, probably some people, or probably a lot of people have about, but uh, if you look at most of Europe, I think the rate of pro-choice is something like over 90%, and there are really hardly no uh, pro-choice politicians. And if they do, they say it's more a personal choice, and they say that uh, it'll never influence kind of uh, uh, their voting decisions. But uh, obviously, the, the irony there is that uh, these countries, like you say, they tend to have uh, much more stringent abortion regulations, where I think countries like France, or I think most of the Europe, I think in Germany, it's something like 15, 18 weeks, which obviously, before Roe v. Wade and uh, upheld by... Or upheld, uh, or uh, rather before Jackson and upheld by uh, Roe v. Wade and uh, Casey, it's, it essentially allowed, it essentially said that all states have to allow for abortions between about uh, until they have to allow for abortions up to 24 weeks, which there's no other country in Europe that allows for that. And that's obviously just the bare minimum. And obviously you have states like Colorado where you can have an abortion, an abortion uh, weeks before you're actually due with the child. Absolutely. And people forget that. Well, they don't forget that. They, they just don't care. Reality doesn't matter to most people, whatever the issue is. Uh, one of the things that annoys the hell out of me is uh, when Roe was overturned recently, uh, uh, people think that abortion was, was outlawed across the entire country. Uh, the Dobbs decision made no changes in federal laws on abortion. It simply restored the authority to decide on abortion to the people's elected representatives. That's all it did. Who can decide how they want to uh, protect life and fight for their unborn? I mean, under previous Supreme Court precedent, states and federal government could only protect the life of unborn once the child was considered viable. So it it just simply went back to a state's rights issue. It went back to the people. Right. So how people can't realize this and understand this, I have absolutely no idea. 26 states have uh, protections uh, for the for the life and, and the place already conditional laws, which either have will, will will or have or will soon spring into effect. Yeah, obviously, so, you know th- these are what they call trigger trigger uh, tr- trigger laws. Once Roe versus Wade was overturned, these laws kick in usually within thirty days or 
they can kick in sooner if if uh, the the governor pushes it. Right, and obviously, kind of uh, as I referenced, uh, as aforementioned uh, first in this uh, podcast uh, when I brought up uh, late Lincoln's opinion that we really should see this as kind of the most pro democratic position you can have, whether you're pro choice or pro life. And even someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg supported this, which obviously she supported the. Uh, she thought that it should become a, a woman's or an equal protection, but uh, that's that's a question for or that's a, another matter. But uh, this idea that it's anti democratic, I I just find so mind boggling. And uh, I think that the these are the people that really do not understand jurisprudence. And I can even remember being in uh, or talking to lawyers and hearing them or talking to lawyers who went to elite law schools and they were devoutly pro choice, but they they had no problem admitting that the uh, rationale for uh, uh, or Roe v. Wade was absolutely lopsided, and there's really not as much of a there's really not any sort of a constitutional standard that they can uh, statute they can push for. Now, the one thing that they argue, and you you found this with the liberal corner arguing this, or the uh, I forget who I, I Sotomayor wrote the uh, 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 retort to the uh, to Alto, and all she was arguing she wasn't arguing from a matter Alito. of jurisprudence. Oh, yeah, Alito, thank Alito. you. No problem. She wasn't she wasn't arguing from a matter of, uh, okay, uh, actually, the Supreme Court, she was just arguing that, okay, well, this has become the president and this will obviously uh, uh, negatively uh, affect so many women. Thus, we shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. And I just find so mind boggling. It's this idea that uh, even if the Constitution, if the Constitution doesn't defend it whatsoever, it we shouldn't jettison or we shouldn't supersede something because it's become a president for a while, which I just find so mind boggling as far as a matter of jurisprudence. I just find so mind boggling. Well, also, that there's this idea that if you go to another state, if you go, if you're if you're a resident of a state that has restrictive abortion laws, and you want to skirt around those abortion laws by going to another state, that you can be criminally prosecuted in that in, in the state that you reside in. That's simply not true. That is absolutely not true. Um, I, I'm not encouraging anybody to go to another state for abortion. I'm pro-life. I'm against abortion. But the reality is, is that. If you live in, in Ohio and you go to Indiana because they have less restrictive abortion laws, at least currently, and you get an abortion in Indiana where it's not illegal and it is illegal in Ohio and you come back to Ohio, you are not under, you are not under the jurisdiction of Ohio in another state. You will not be prosecuted in Ohio for something you – that's simply not the case because it's a state-by-state issue. It's not a federal law. Right. So what, what people don't get about that, I have absolutely no clue. The idea that it's that, that this is banned abortions across the, the country, and that every abortion is illegal everywhere, or that you can be prosecuted in your home state if you do something in another state, is just not true. It's just not true. The other thing that drives me crazy is the, the pro-life movement is merely pro-birth and not pro-child. That's absolutely nonsense. The, these uh, these uh, oh, uh these clinics to help uh, help pregnant women have been attacked. Over 40, almost close to 50 uh, 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 birthing centers have been attacked. Pro-life birthing centers have been attacked uh, by radical leftists, burning them down and telling them they're not safe and spray painting and breaking inside and destroying the insides of the buildings. These places provide all sorts of services to women to make sure that their, their children are fed, that they're fed that they have all the things that they need for prenatal care, that they have all the things they need for the care of the child once the child is born. They set themselves up, set them up with all sorts of fa- family and child services. So the, the notion that, that nobody cares about these children after they're born is just absolute nonsense. 
and, and it's 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 to promote the agenda of killing children and coming up with any ridiculous excuse they can to promote that the agenda. Right. I mean, I, I always find this to be one of the most bewildering. Right. I, I mean, I guess it's a talking point, so I guess they're going to uh, attach to it. But uh, this idea that, oh, well, you're not really pro-life because you don't support some sort of political positions. And uh, sometimes it's reference to something like uh, you don't want uh, as many illegal immigrants to come to the country as possible. Thus, you're anti-pro-life or sometimes it'll be you support the death penalty. So you must be pro-life, even though if they, they did something that uh, I think many people would view it as warranting it, such as killing someone, which which obviously if they didn't get the death penalty, they would have spent their life in prison, which seems like a pretty poor way to live their life. I, I think it kind of speaks to this kind of weird emotion where people have kind of this weird conjecture and they'll just kind of throw out their own criteria and they'll say, well, you can't be pro-life. Be- you can't really be pro-life, as you claim, because you don't support something I agree with, which I mean, I guess is a talking point, but uh, I find to be one of the more weaker ones they actually come up with. Yeah, they they want you to support what they what, what they want you to support, as if you should take their advice, considering the fact that they're pro-abortion. Yeah, yeah let me tell the pro-life. I'm pro-abortion. Let me tell the pro-life people how they should uh, be pro pro-life. Yeah, that makes sense. Let, let me strategize for you. My goal is to undermine your efforts, and my goal is to keep abortion legal and, uh, and paid for by the government uh, for any and all reasons, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But uh, let me tell you how you should really go about protesting abortion. How, how the hell would that make sense? That's like being a boxer, and uh, you're going to take advice from the other guy's manager, from the other guy's uh, trainer, on how you should beat his fighter. How would that, how would that make rational sense to anybody? Right. Yeah. It, it, it kind of goes, it, it hearkening back to the point about, uh, oh, it's just a clump of cells. It's kind of like, okay, well, you make this kind of weird normative position, so you have to defend it. And obviously, they defend it just by emotions. It's this idea that you can't be, you're not pro-life because, or, I mean, maybe in, maybe in a way they're actually saying you can be pro-life and uh, view it as abortion, but uh, because these people, uh, they tend to be, I guess, I guess in their minds, they tend to be mostly conservative and they tend to support mostly conservative positions. Those just aren't pro-life, so thus this idea that they're pro-life in one aspect and not another shows that the other aspect they must not also be pro-life. And I, I'm actually the more I the more we kind of uh, obviously once again you hear this as a talking point, but the more you kind of uh, actually kind of flesh out and kind of try to understand what the rationale for it just seems absolutely bewildering. Well, they practice what I like to refer to as "I want what I want politics." I don't care if it's right. I don't care if it's wrong. I don't care if it makes rational sense. I just want what I want. And whatever, whatever lie I have to tell, however I have to twist reality, that's what I'm going to do to make sure that I get what I want in life and, and that people follow the policies I want, want them to follow and, and be damned with reality or truth or, or sincerity or anything else, any type of honesty or integrity. I just want what I want. And, and to me, the people like that are absolutely despicable. Right. I mean, the one thing that uh, I, I guess pivoting a bit that uh, when we hear about abortion, this is the one thing that's always kind of uh, bewildered, uh, bewildered me the most is that uh, typically they'll, you'll see pro-lifers, they'll put some standard and they'll say that, okay, well, I believe that you should be able to have an abortion up to 24 weeks or up to the first trimester, which largely by and large corresponds to that, because if you look at it, there's a consensus that says that uh, Oh well, the fetus can't feel pain, so thus it's it's whatever, and it's it's uh, ridiculous to uh, confer some sort of personhood on them. 
which the thing that always baffles me about that is that it very well that's obviously i mean they, they argue that's a consensus but that's not a scientific fact that we know that okay well we've deduced perfectly that uh with the, a fetus can't feel pain because they have certain receptors so what if it's the case in a couple of years and obviously there are pro-lifers who question this what if it's the case that it's shown that okay no the fetus can feel uh, pain pretty much up to the point uh, at which you can the, pretty much at, during the whole time you can get an abortion, the fetus can feel pain. They would just come up with another criteria and they would just come up with another standard and you just seemingly see them jettison that for something else, which I think does show kind of the, uh, I, I don't know, maybe the unseriousness in the pro-life position, which uh, I, obviously the article I sent you that's uh, argued by Ross Daltat of the New York Times when he was essentially, he made an argument for why we should be pro-life and it's that the pro-lifers don't actually have to put qualifications in their position. They just say they can just say it, a fetus is a person, thus you cannot kill it as you cannot kill an actual person. Whereas the pro-lifers argue they try to split hairs. And they say that, oh, well, it's this the personhood doesn't enter in this. So that's why we think you should be allowed to have an abortion, which these, these standards such as I, I don't know if anyone else realized it, but these standards, the, the criterion they tend to set is something like can it feel pain? And well, they can argue there's consensus there. That's not something that's said. It could be obviously be reversed. And the question is, what is if it's reversed? Will they just jump to something else? And what what does that say about their position? It's what do they have to say to get whatever they want want across? They really don't care about the facts. You give them a situation where they want something, and they'll find an argument to, to argue for it. They don't really care what they. It's it's not like that they have integrity, and they ha- they feel like they have to say this or they have to say that. They have to stick to the facts. They have to be rational. None of that is a factor. None of that factors into what they do. Uh, it, it's their, their argument changes with, with, with whichever suits them the best at the time. So, you know, they may make this argument one time and another argument another time because it's whatever suits the situation. You're absolutely right. right. They'll just come up with another argument and another argument and another argument. So it's, it's just, you know, they just want what they want. Um, so back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a moment. Uh, while it may, may seem unlikely, Ginsburg, the pioneering advocate for women's rights, who died in September uh, 2020 at 87, was a frequent critic of Roe versus Wade, especially in its framing and the speed in which it was uh, pushed through. So in a much quoted lecture she gave at New York University uh, in uh, 1992, Ginsburg noted that how Roe was an example of how doctrinal limbs too swiftly shaped may prove unstable. So Ginsburg was, in essence, disagreeing with the Rose base argument that the right to abortion was based on the privacy of a woman with her doctor and not a violation of equal protection as guaranteed by the Constitution. So that, that you know, that, that there's no, again, there's no uh, where in the Constitution that you can say that it, it supplies the right to an abortion. And she knew that she knew it was simply a political decision at the time because there was a lot of uh, a lot of feminists who were who were uh, out in the streets uh, protesting, and it was a very popular thing. And unfortunately, uh, nothing exists in a bubble. Nothing exists in a vacuum, including the Supreme Court. Sad but true. Right. I mean, obviously, it's that. I mean, you could look at anything, and I, I think if you just view it as a matter of jur- jurisprudence, that her position seemed to be that Roe v. Wade was. Uh, was wrongly decided and it should have we should have just uh, went with the trajectory where I guess it seemed like more states were implementing I guess uh, uh, more pro-choice laws and then just kind of do it that way which uh, I mean obviously obviously I, I take umbrage I, t- I, I take umbrage with but uh, would kind of uh, in my uh, uh, opinion accord more with uh, actually the Constitution 
But obviously, there is the question that uh, she seems to say is she seems to think that uh, the idea of like a right of protection is nonsense is uh, not not founded. And she also, I I guess what, that was ultimately uh, mostly jettisoned with the uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, and it was viewed as that oh they have a right to or or abortion should be part of your liberty. And obviously, she wanted to jettison all of that and say that it's a uh, it's a it's a right to women's health care that she can't do it. Which I, there's some interesting implications for that. I mean, I imagine one of them is something like, oh, well, men can't get abortion, so therefore they shouldn't be able to pine on it. Which one of the things I find interesting now is kind of when we're entering into this weird kind of gender idea that gender and sex are not the same. We're seeing that a lot of liberals and even Planned Parenthood on their actual website will say that men can actually get pregnant and have abortions. So, that, <laughs> so therefore, it should be that. And we've heard liberal commentators say this. They say I, I've heard liberal commentators say this. There's a guy named Mark Lamont Hill, which I'm sure you you know of, where he said something to the effect of, where he he literally said this, where he said, "Oh, I can actually comment on abortion because I'm a man, and I guess uh, transgender men can get abortions, so we're actually the same." So, right. Therefore. Yeah, if we're if we're gonna go down this crazy rabbit hole of there's no such thing as women and no such thing as men, and you can be anything you want, you can be a man one moment, you can be a woman the next moment, and then you can flip back to a man again, inside of five minutes, then I can I can self-identify as a woman while I speak on abortion, and my point is just as valid as as any other woman. Right. Now, obviously, that's absolutely batshit crazy, but if if uh, the liberals are going to be um, if they're going to stick to that argument, if they're if they're going to be uh, camp, that they have to be consistent, and that that's consistent, right? Which is I, I don't even know what what you even say about that because you it's it's one of the things that uh, once again that I just find mind boggling where you see uh, I'm forgetting uh, God who is uh, who is the former uh, uh, White House speaker? Oh, um... oh, Jen Jen Paskey. I remember, no, Jen, 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 Jen Saki. Jen Saki. Jen Saki. Thank you. Yeah. Red, red, redheaded woman. Yeah, I remember she said right when uh, Roe v. Wade was getting decided, she said something to the effect of, "Oh, well, this is a woman's body, so men can't decide." But then you see Plant Parenthood on their website literally say men can get abortions. So which one is it? I mean, right. you just kind of find a contradiction both. in the pro-choice kind of camp. Well, again, it's 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 back to I'm making whatever argument I have to make for the for the particular discussion at, at hand. And it doesn't have to be consistent. It doesn't have to be true. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to be sincere. Uh, it doesn't have to have any rationality to it. I just say whatever I have to say in the moment to try to win the argument and try to, to push to uh, you know push my agenda forward. And, and that's why you know out of one side of their mouth they say that men can't say anything about women, and the other side of their mouth they say well men can give birth and men, men are women too. It's it's just it's nonsense. It makes absolutely uh, no sense whatsoever. There's no rationality to it. Uh, and they don't care. They just don't care. They want what they want. So, you know, eventually, not only, you know, men are going to dominate everything. They're going to do- dominate the conversations about abortion. They're going to dominate sports. They're going to dominate everything. But it won't be men dominating. It won't be the patriarchy because they'll all self-identify as women. Right. Yeah, I, I also think there's a an interesting kind of point to cash out about, uh, uh, I guess, Ginsburg, which she thought the only defense was some sort of uh, equal protections, which uh, the thing that's, uh, which obviously we're just kind of, fle- I'm just kind of fleshing this out now. So I'm not, int- I'm not uh, uh, in tune with uh, all of the debates on it, but 
one of the things that I find interesting is that seems to that seems to rely on this argument, which I, I believe is a big myth, which I don't think we countered, which is that, oh, well, men and women have 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 a extreme uh, different views on abortion. And if you actually look at the results on this, I've seen it where if you look at today's, it's only like a one point five to three point difference, which I mean, if you study statistics, that's pretty negligible. That's yeah, not it's, 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 within, it's, it's within the margin of error. Yeah, at the very least that, whichever. But uh, this idea that uh, this idea that oh well, there's such a uh, such a substantial difference, and uh, I think even Gloria Steinman she used to bring this up, and this has become a kind of big feminist talking point where they Ste think that Steinem, 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 thank you, where where they they bring up that okay, well, there has to be such a substantial difference in the view on men and women and abortion. Obviously, men can't get abortions, so therefore it shows that they shouldn't be in this conversation, or they're just uh, there's something lopsided that they just can't have knowledge on. And if you just look at that, that's just not true. It's just another thing where. Where in this case they're saying whatever they want to, but they're just saying something that's so against that's actually against empirical reality that I don't even know how they do that. It's which I guess really does underscore that a lot of these things that just comes from their emotion, they get so emotional about something that they'll justify it any means possible. Well, that's the difference between conservatives and, and liberals. Liberals are pure emotions. There's no logic. There's no rationale. Uh, that's why they decided that uh, not only is, is not only is violence violence. But words are violence, and not only are words violence, but silence is violence. So not only, not only can you not be violent, uh, because that's violence, not only can you not say things that people disagree with, because that's supposedly violence, but now you have to openly agree with them and vocally agree with them. You have to speak out and agree wholeheartedly with everything they say. And if you don't, and you just stay neutral or quiet, that's violence. So, right. I, I, mean, I mean, talk about, uh, you know, talk about, uh, you know, trying to control the population and, and you know, talk about tyrannical efforts to, to force other people to believe and say what you want them to believe and say. And, and unfortunately, a lot of these social media platforms are, are uh, promoting this. I feel really let down that, uh, that, that Twitter wasn't bought out. Yeah, well, as do I. I wish, uh, obviously, that would uh, likely make it much more. I'm sure it would have made it much more conducive to free speech. Yeah, yeah, he backed off. So. Yeah. So he's yeah, not I mean, gonna. He's already stated that he's not. He's he's lost interest in buying it. Which I, I it, it sometimes it makes me wonder if he ever was ever going to. Yeah. You know, Elon Musk was. Seems like he was uh, teasing us all because. He he never really followed through. Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, there, yeah. Which, uh, I mean, that's that's obviously where a lot of discourse emanates from. So hopefully, this would uh, that would have stymied uh, a lot of it, a lot of the liberal nonsense, particularly on abortion. But uh, I, I guess another thing that, uh, if you don't mind my pivoting, which uh, I'm kind of interested in, is particularly in our case in Florida, where which we've talked about a bit, where I, I think this is kind of the pragmatic, uh, maybe more the pragmatic points of abortion is that. If you look at our state, in a, if you look at our state of Florida, it's become uh, one of the I think the only one of the only states in the Deep South, which obviously calling uh, Florida a Deep South state could be a bit of a misnomer. But uh, it's become one of the only states that uh, in the Deep South or in that region, Southeast, that uh, actually allows for abortion now and that uh, it's banned abortion at 15 weeks right before the Jackson ruling, which uh, obviously uh, goes against uh, uh, which obviously goes against the, the first trimester rule. And right. it it appears as though it appears as though that DeSantis is just trying to use that as an overture to kind of get the uh, right wing to say, OK, look, we're standing up for abortion. 
but he still seemingly allowed for pretty much 99% of abortions. And I think there's a question of that, uh, politically speaking, of what do you do in that case where, where someone, or I would say just purely pragmatic, where someone like DeSantis, uh, I guess there's a, there's a fear that uh, Florida can actually go liberal as it's uh, basically been designated as a swing state. So he doesn't want to rock the boat there and doesn't want to upend it. So he's just leaving a abortion at bay for the time being. And I was kind of wondering, as, as a, I guess what you could say is a purely pragmatic point, what do you think about that? It bothers me. It bothers me because I think that conservatives make too many concessions and they, they do this. They do this. They back out down too much, worried about what's what, you know, trying to be a political strategist. Just stand up. You know, how did Trump win? Was Trump a political strategist? I don't think so. He went in and he just said whatever the hell he wanted to say. He was a billionaire. He, he, was, he was an old man. He did, just didn't care. And he just said how he felt it. And, uh, you know, he, and people responded to that. People are sick and tired of the representatives trying to strategize. And maybe I should say it this way and maybe I should word it this way so that, you know, I can I can reinterpret it later on. I didn't really mean to say that. What I really meant was, no, just say what you think. Just mean what you say and, and, and let that be that and, and let the chips fall where they may. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the kind of Trumpian principle where we've seen that uh, he basically upended old trends, didn't really listen to many survey results and just kind of said what he was going to say. And people like that, uh, I guess, seeming, I guess, what you call authenticity. So I guess the question is, uh, could you see the same thing applied to abortion where a lot of these kind of conservative governors who, I guess, live in, I guess, uh, uh, preside over states that are either swing or, I guess, lean left? But I probably uh, would probably imagine that Florida probably leans left, leans right at this point, even though it's a designated as a swing state. What should they do? And it could be could it be the same phenomenon where the kind of the Trump phenomenon where he just kind of said what he wanted and didn't back down at all. And that ultimately paid dividends in the end, which uh, I would be interested in seeing. But uh, that would be I think that would be one of the only questions I would have is how that would uh, how that would pan out in a state like Florida, which uh, I imagine I'd like to find out. I'd like to find out. I'd like I'd like him to do exactly that. I'd like him to do this Trump strategy where I just say whatever the hell I want to say and let the chips fall where they may. And people, the, the, the public, the voter, the voting public can decide which side they're on and stop being wishy-washy and, and make a stand. That's what I'd like to see happen. And I think that if you truly want what they call a red wave, which I, I have absolutely no clue. Uh, when I was a kid, red, red was always communist and blue was always, uh, always, uh, you know, democracy. And uh, so I, I don't understand how the colors switched but if you want to truly want a red republican wave then do what trump did do trump strategy and that's have no strategy just go in and say whatever the hell you want to say shoot from the hip and don't back down when challenged and that'll that'll put people into making a decision am i going to be wishy-washy how do i really feel about these issues do i really like the way the country's going do i want to change and if you don't like, if you if you figure out that you're a more lean, more conservative, and, and that you don't like the direction the country is going in, there you go. Now you know how to who to vote for, and you can actually trust that person's word instead of trying to figure out do, are they saying what they really believe and what they're really intending to do when they're in office, or are they just you know political uh, finagling to to get themselves in office? Right. Or he's obviously even like the the kind of more uh, even from some point of DeSantis where maybe he's playing more kind of state politics, but there's also the the element that I guess this doesn't have as much to do with kind of or I guess it does, but uh, 
he's he probably has to it's probably going to hurt him a lot his prospects if he wants to run 2024 if he uh doesn't uh doesn't uh, outlaw abortion which he can do it in a heart and do it in a whim because he has the congress and obviously he's the governor that's uh, it seems like a lot of republicans are going to feel betrayed when they uh uh or heads to the primaries yeah he's going to hurt himself if he doesn't if he doesn't uh put a flat his flag and and stick to his guns. If he doesn't do that, he's going to hurt himself, and rightly so. Rightly so. If DeSantis doesn't do that, then maybe Trump will be the, be the nomination for the Republican Party. Uh, if if he does do that and he does stick to his guns, then maybe he'll be. And right. The really the ball is in his court. Is he going to be a man and stand up, or is he going to let uh, Trump run with the ball? Yeah, I guess this is where this is where I'm kind of more interested in kind of a. Uh the political aspect of it because I'm, I'm interested to see, I, I think at the very least this is going to hurt uh, kind of Republicans in kind of more blue States where I guess maybe they, they're pro-life or maybe, maybe in like a lot of red States where they're actually pro-life, but uh, a couple years ago they would think, okay, well he's pro-life, but he can't actually implement his laws because Roe v. Wade set. So therefore I don't have a problem voting for this person if I'm uh, if for, for whatever reason. And I'm wondering if now this is going to hurt a lot of the kind of a, uh, Republicans who lean or Republicans in a lot of blue states where maybe they could win some victories, such as Illinois, where it's just going to be the case that, oh, well, no, you're pro-life or maybe if you're not, don't identify as pro-life, you're a Republican, so we can't trust you. And therefore, because uh, in a whim or if there's too many of you, you could overturn uh, abortion. And that's going to be kind of the thought process in a lot of uh, states. I think, sure I think yeah, I'm sure regardless, I think that will my, my sense is that, that will hurt uh, uh, hurt Republicans, obviously, living in the living in a couple of blue states and seeing kind of that that rhetoric uh, start to spew after Roe v. Wade got over, overturned. But uh, I, I guess the, the biggest litmus for me is that uh, to see what happens in states like Ohio and Florida, which uh, have used to become like kind of your your standard bearer uh, uh, swing states. But now it appears as though they're going much they're taking a much uh, more conservative turn to see if uh, that kind of a trajectory can be sustained if they uh, which I guess Ohio implemented, I believe, the heartbeat bill, which corresponds to roughly six weeks. If that can be sustained, if that momentum can be sustained uh, uh, with abortion, with, uh, I guess, particularly Ohio, essentially outlying pretty much all abortions and to see how people like uh, someone like Vance does in his uh, election. And he's obviously uh, unabashedly uh, pro-life. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So it's 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 really going to come down to, um, you know, whether they're going to try to play politics or they're just going to be honest. And I want them just to be honest. I want every politician just to lay it out how they see it and then let the people decide. You can't get more democratic than that. And that's the problem with liberals. They don't want it to come down to a vote. They don't want it in the hands of the people because they're afraid that it won't go in their favor. That's the whole bottom line for them. If they were really confident that, it was gonna, that the decisions were going to go in their favor, they wouldn't have a problem with it coming down and putting the hand, put it in the hands of the people. They're always talking about how they're the party of the people. Well, if, if they're the party of the people, then why are they trying to take the decisions that affect the average citizens' lives out of the hands of the people and putting it in the hands of the federal government? Right. You can't have it both ways. You can't be the party of the people and, and want the government to dictate the people's lives. Yeah. That kind of reminded me uh... – yeah, that's obviously I was going to say, obviously, you keep hearing with Obama where he made speeches at uh, I think he made a speech at some Planned Parenthood function in 2007 when he was running in the uh, the primary. And he said something like, my first thing will be codifying uh, abortion as a federal law. 
And then uh, one of his in the State of the Union of uh, 2009, he said something to the effect of my first priority is not going to be abortion. Right. Just absolutely. Yeah. The first thing I'm going to do is codify abortion into federal law. Uh, and that that that's code for electoring all you liberal loons that that uh, that support abortion elect me into office and then when he finally then after that once he's in office then his second speech is okay people we, we all know that that's not going to happen <laughs> right we all know that was just a talking point to get all the jackasses that support abortion uh to vote for me and now that that's done and now that i'm in office all that bullshit nonsense that i was talking about to get elected into office. Now, now I don't have to pretend to believe any of that. And, and, yeah. and you know, when it's time to, to run for office again, uh, maybe, maybe I'll switch my mind again until I get back in office again. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that's, that's the game we play. So it's kind of like with uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, for, for decades, his position was, and so was Hillary Clinton, but his, Joe Biden, since he's in office right now, his position was, I want abortions to remain legal, and to be safe and to be rare. Now he's on the uh, abortion on demand for any reason and the government should pay for it uh, camp. So, you know, he, he's, he's the typical politician. He just kind of goes with the flow. Yeah, I, I, I guess a couple of points in the movie this is what we can wrap on and wrap up on, which I was going to say about Obama that uh, I guess is a purely political point. I, I find Democrats where they, they seemingly, I mean, obviously they're just being played by the Democratic Party because they had 60, they had, they had, they had a 60 or a, 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 a majority or a, a veto or what, sorry, or a filibuster impervious uh, majority of 60. And obviously there's some Republican uh, pro-life or pro-choice senators. So they probably could have gotten it passed and they obviously didn't do that. So I don't understand why Democrats think that now they can trust or they, they think that the Democratic Party actually has their best interest when they had it. But also a, a thing I didn't understand about uh, Biden, and maybe it's like a, this is a, one of the major qualms I have with a, a lot of, uh, or if you want to say pro-choicers who have a, who, who uh, have their misgivings about it, is that if you look at Biden's rhetoric, which he always voted pro-choice, or he always said he always said something to the effect of, "Okay, I'm personally against abortion, but I think it should be legal." Which, I mean, I guess is a respectable position, but now he's forced to say he extols abortion at nauseum. Which right. I just don't get this, which it, it makes no sense to me, which I, I if you want to have the position that, OK, well, I personally am against abortion, but I think it should be legal. OK, which I don't understand why you pivot to now. OK, I have to extol abortion and say that anyone who wants to outlaw it is just this unethical monster. I mean, there, there's just something that I, I even if you're as pro-choice as can be, I can't see it. it doesn't that bother anyone that uh, you can just see this flip flopping where he's, he's forced to play this political game where he has to extol something that. He, he's actually he's allowing he's he's in effect saying that you can have I'll vote for whatever you have. I'll, I'll support this because I for whatever reason, maybe it's just pure political kind of uh, 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 him just being expedient. But now it's that, no, you have to be you have to extol this and you have to say, think this is the greatest thing in the world. That just that just boggles my mind. Yeah, well, it, it went, yeah, you're absolutely right. It went from it went from I think that abortion should be that the abortion is horrible and shouldn't happen to. Uh, now, uh, abortion should happen, and if you disagree with me, you're, you're an absolute monster, and, and uh, you're, you're the worst person in the world, and uh, you're just pure evil. Now, how the yeah. hell does that make sense? Did he change that much? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it basically, he, he, tells, he tells the Democrats and the far left wing, you tell me what you want, and I'll make it happen. You just vote for me, 
and you tell me whatever you want. You make you make the the Santa Claus Christmas wish list, and you tell me what you want to happen, what you want to happen, and I will do whatever it, it takes to make that happen. I will not only will I do whatever it takes to make that happen, I'll completely change my my position, my political and personal position, to reflect that fact. Whatever you say, I'm just a blank slate. You tell me what you want, and and I'll I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just regurgitate it. Right. I, I also think that speaks to which obviously that's the emotions of this, because it's it, it's probably it's probably the case that it's not enough to where they could they could accept it being the case that, OK, well, he's going to support exactly what we want legally, but he doesn't support it. it has to be the case that, no, you have to support this because this is the right thing to do. And if not, then you're some sort of misogynist. I mean, I, I think that's what it ultimately boils down to. Right. But, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow. And again, we're back to men want to control women's bodies. Nobody wants to control your body. If it wasn't another life form that it was in your body, and that could be a male life form, or it could be a female life form, or in, a, in the opinion of, you know, according to popular myth, it could be, uh, it could be a they or a her or a, a shevi or whatever the hell you want to call it. So it, it could, it could be male or female. So it's not like we're we're against women or we're against females. We want to save the life regardless of what the gender is, regardless of what the sex is. We want to save the life. I don't give a damn about women's bodies if they're, if they're if, if, or controlling women. If it didn't involve another life, I, I wouldn't have anything to say about it. Yeah, You could do whatever you wanted to do. It's on you. But since there is another life involved and there's, uh, there's, other, there's, there's the, the father involved and there's other families involved and society involved in it's, it's such, such an important way, you know, we can't just keep silent on this. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I don't know how to get that through their head. I don't know how to explain it any further that they're going to understand. Uh, it just seems like that they don't want to understand. Yeah. But if you're waiting for the legislation to change and, and codify this into law, it's not going to happen. The, the Democrats simply don't have the votes. There's two things that ruined you. Uh, the two things that caused this, uh, caused this uh, decision to happen is Ginsburg held on longer than she should have. She should have retired before Trump even took office. And if that had to happen, then, then, then Obama would have been able to put a liberal judge in, on the court. That's the first thing that destroyed you. The second thing was, is when you eliminated the, the, the uh, filibuster when it came to nominating uh, judges for the Supreme Court. Because what you did is, is you made it much easier for Trump to put whoever he wanted to put on the court. So the combination of those strategies on the, on the left actually undermined their efforts and, and put them in the, in the situation they're in. So they only have themselves to blame. One last thing, as far as the, the saying that the Supreme Court justices that were nominated lied about their positions, they told the truth about their positions. But no judge of any kind can tell you what the decision they're going to make is on any particular case before they hear the case. Otherwise, they're not a, a judge. They're simply a rubber stamp. Yeah. I would. Uh, there, there was a point that... Uh... I guess to kind of end on is that uh, Amy, uh, Amy Connie Barrett and her, uh, uh, I guess her hearing, she said something of, okay, well, abortion set a law. And then she said something like, but we, I think it's horrible jurisprudence. Okay. There was a tweet. There was a tweet that uh, underscores how ridiculous or underscores the absurdity in this because uh, some liberal journalists uh, tweeted something to the effect of her quote, where she said, okay, well, Roe v. Wade has established law. And then it got something like a hundred thousand likes and then in the next tweet, which she had space to do this, she tweeted something like, uh, well, and then she says, 
it's it's horrible jurisprudence. And then that gets virtually no likes at all, which obviously the whole point is trying to say that she's some hypocritical line, which they just don't read. It's it just goes to this because it's you just keep hearing them say this, that, uh, oh, well, they lied in their hearings. They lied in their hearings. They did not lie in their hearings. All they they essentially just said that, um, at least with her, that uh, uh, this is established law or this this has become some sort of president. But it's still the case that a president can be superseded, which even Alito made the point that he acknowledged that Roe v. Wade has become some sort of president in that it's been decided in that it's been around since uh, nearly 49 years. The point was that it just is it just doesn't accord at all and is and is totally against any sort of uh, uh, actual jurisprudence as far as what the Constitution says. Agreed. I completely agree. I think this has been a really good discussion. I think this has worked very well. I hope that we've imparted some information to people. Whether they agree or disagree with what we're saying, I hope that they've enjoyed what they've heard and that it gives them food for thought. So this has been the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm the Conservative Atheist, your host, and my co-host is... Brighter Later. And we will catch you tomorrow.